listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. I want to read today's uh, scripture. If you can stand with me and we'll continue in our service together in God's word. Uh, this is uh, Matthew 6, 24. One verse, all right? So I'm going to read it nice and slow and engage it. And then when I'm done with the verse, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And I invite you to say, thanks be to God. No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Good morning, family. I'm glad to be with you guys today. If you guys don't know me, uh, my name is Jonathan Salas. I am the director of engagement for our Story City Collective, our family of churches. Um, and I have the privilege of being one of the elders here at the Granada location. And so I'm really excited to be with you guys today. Um, if you guys have been with us over the past few months, we've been in a sermon series called uh, Equipped for Depth and Restoration in Christ. And that's kind of been the theme of, uh, of this year. And uh, it, it, the heart behind this series uh, is to help us as apprentices of Jesus to understand what being a new human is all about and how to live out our new life in Christ. And so that's what we're doing. We're being equipped for that depth and for that restoration. And if you've been with us the past two weeks, uh, we've specifically been talking about stewardship, right? And how Jesus gives us a blueprint on how to take care of and use properly our time, our possessions, and our talents. And so uh, our time today will focus specifically on our use of our money or our wealth. And I know whenever we talk about money in the church, ears, the, the, the little ears go up, right? The radar goes up, like, oh my goodness, what are they going to say? What are they going to, because money is important to us. It, it means a lot to us, and we, we all understand that. But when I talk about it today, I'm going to be using this term wealth. And there's a reason why I'm going to be using the term wealth over money. See, it's because God doesn't just want your money. He wants you to use all of your possessions that he's given you. And that, I feel like that term wealth encapsulates that more than just our money, right? He doesn't just want us to give him our money, but all of our possessions. And today we're going to really learn uh, what that means. So I'm going to pray and we'll dive in. Matthew chapter 6, let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to gather. God, there's so many people around this world today, uh, believers, that don't have the same privileges that we have here in America, in California. And God, we, we pray for them right now, Lord, as they're meeting in secret or they can't meet because they live in a war-torn country. Um, but God, we are just so thankful that we can study your word, that we can know who you are. And God, we, first of all, we want to submit ourselves to you today. Uh, God, would you illuminate uh, our hearts with your word, with your scripture, that you would teach us, that you would guide us into all truth through your Holy Spirit, and that we would leave here today, uh, first of all, more in awe of you, uh, more inspired by you to worship you uh, more and to love you better, and not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done through Jesus Christ, and that we would surrender our hearts to that. God, we love you, and we thank you for everything. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Uh, when I was about 12 years old, I was a part of a baseball team, and uh, we, for the end of the year, like, gathering, all of our parents decided that we were going to go camping up in the mountains. And so there's this super cool uh, uh, camp. It was called Camp Timberline, and it was up in the west side mountains, and you had to drive, like, from the base of the, from the, base of the mountains to the top. It took you about 30 to 45 minutes just to drive. That's how, like, up and secluded it was. And this camp was awesome. It had all these different camps. Cabins. There was a pool, basketball courts, volleyball courts, uh, uh, what do you call that, miniature golf, right? They had all these different things. And our baseball team rented out the entire facility for the weekend so that we could use it. And it was super fun. And one of the things that this camp really bragged about was this super awesome hike that they had. Because they were so high up in the mountains, right, if you went on this hike, they had a lookout where when you would go there, you could oversee the entire west side of the island. It was, it was amazing. And so uh, that morning we woke up, right, we're all ready. My assistant coach was like, okay, here we go, let's do it. And all the, all the kids were gonna go, all the, all the players were gonna go, and one coach and all the parents and all the people that had, all the coaches that came with us were gonna stay back. And they they were going to do their thing and we were going to do our thing. And so we were super excited. So we grabbed our map, we grabbed all the stuff we needed and we went out. And sure enough, man, the view was amazing, right? We got there and it was like, it was unbelievable. You could see uh, the, the valley, you could see all the ocean, the entire west side of the island. Still, this is probably one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen. But when it came time to make our trek back to camp, we fell into a little bit of a situation. You see, the map that we had, the, the way back, the way that it was telling us to go back was to follow this stream. But since it was a dated map and we didn't know that, that stream had dried up and no longer existed. It wasn't there. And so we're walking around, we're trying to look for this stream, right? And we're walking and we're walking, can't find it. And we start to look around, we're trying to follow this map, and we're like, wait, haven't we seen that big rock before, right? And a four-hour hike turned into an eight-hour hike because our view that was given to us by the map, it wasn't correct. Our parents started to worry. It got so bad, they had to call the fire department, okay? And the fire department had to come and look, uh, look for us. You see, because uh, it was, we, we didn't have the right map, our view was faulty. We didn't have the thing that, the thing that was supposed to lead us was wrong. And so where our, since our view of where we were supposed to go was wrong, it led us to end up being lost, so like I said today, church, I want you to catch this. We're going to talk about wealth, and I want you to catch our big idea today. If our view, our view of wealth determines our way of life, I'll say that again. Our view of wealth determines our way of life. You see, if we have the wrong view in life about wealth, we will get lost, and just like my team, we'll be wandering and trying to find the right places to go or to do the right things. But ultimately, we won't be able to do that because our view is messed up. We will not steward the things that God has given us correctly. So today, 
We're going to examine from Jesus' words. Right? That's what Matthew chapter 6 is. It's, it's Jesus' words. He's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to learn about three view shifts on wealth that need to take place in, our, in, in us that will lead us to life change. So we're going to look at these three view shifts. The first one, here's the first view shift. We don't find wealth in earthly possessions. We find it in heavenly priorities. Our, our, our view has to shift on this. We don't find wealth in earthly possessions. We find it in heavenly priorities. If you have your Bible, you can look at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start at the beginning of the, uh, the, this theme or this idea in verse 19. This is what Jesus says. In your Bible, the, the, the words should be highlighted red. He says this. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Jesus here, he's te again teaching this Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching his Jewish audience and he, he's telling them that uh, he advises them against accumulating treasure. So this is why it's specific what I, I didn't want to just talk about money. This is talking about whatever you deem valuable, right? In our society, we, we deem things valuable different than that Jewish culture society. It was an agricultural society, a farming society, right? So what they deem as valuable is different to what we deem as valuable, uh, different today, right? But we still have to understand that Jesus is talking about what we value is the, the treasure, right? He's, he's advising us about uh, accumulating those things. He warns us, Right? He says, hey, these things are vulnerable. Right? They, can, uh, they can decay. He uses that idea of moth and rust. He's using word pictures for them to understand right? that moth. You guys ever had mothballs right, in your closet? But they, in that time, their, their garments right, were vulnerable to being eaten by moth. This idea of rust, he's not necessarily talking about like rust on metal, but it's this idea of being consumed and that what we have, the, val the things that we deem valuable, all of them are consumable, right? And so he's telling us, hey, these things are vulnerable. They can uh, decay or they can be stolen and, and lost. They can be taken away. What Jesus is implying is, is that fixating on material possessions leads to impermanence, right? That they don't last forever and disappointment. I love how Solomon reiterates this in Ecclesiastes 5, of, of verse number 10. He says, the one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. So, so plain, right? And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. And he uses this phrase, this too is futile, worthless, in vain. 
The richest man to ever live says, guess what? Hey, your possessions, your money, your wealth, it never satisfies. It doesn't bring you the satisfaction that you're searching for. He says, it's not permanent. It goes away. You're always chasing after it. And he says, guess what? It will disappoint you. So Jesus understands this. And he tells us, rather than collecting material valuables in this life, look at verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where they're not vulnerable, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, instead, Jesus says, instead of pursuing earthly possessions, focus on heavenly priorities. He wants us to, to dig in and understand that it's about the things that he says is true wealth, is true life, is true uh, uh, in a sense, what's worth it? You see, these treasures, they, signif they signify uh, acts of righteousness, kindness, and virtue. And these actions contribute to eternal reward, right? And, reflect, and when we reflect, and they reflect the focusing on enduring values rather than fleeting possessions. And so Jesus then he emphasizes the why. He, he, he goes in that last verse. He emphasizes the why. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Right? He's telling us why. He's, what he's saying is, a person's priorities reflected in their investments and pursuits reveals where their true devotion lies. That's what they're really committed to. Right, where they're, where they're investing, what they're pursuing, what they're going after, what they're fixated upon is what they really care about. Paul reiterates this to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy, right? And then he tells them this. Then he says, instruct them. He tells them what to do. He says, instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up, and he's using Jesus' words, treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so that so that they may take hold of what is truly life. He tells them, do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous. Be willing to share. Have heavenly priorities. Because that is what is true life. True wealth. So this vision shift should lead us to a life change. Right? If, if, we are, uh, if we're not focused on earthly possessions, but rather heavenly priorities, then we'll, how, how do we change our life? We must redefine what we value. We must redefine what we value. Right? As apprentices of Jesus, if we want to be good stewards, we must value the heavenly priorities 
over the earthly possessions. We, we have to. We have to redefine what is actually important. But you know, we can't do that on our own. We can't, we can't do that naturally, right? We can't, naturally, we, we value earthly possessions. Why? Because they bring security. They bring power. They bring safety, right? They bring influence. We crave those things. So what do we need to do? We need to ask God, right? We need to ask God to change our priorities. We have to humble ourselves before him and ask him to change our priorities. And so we have to understand, right? We have to shift our view, right? That true wealth, we don't find wealth in earthly possessions. We find it in heavenly priorities. And we have to, so what that means for us as apprentices is we have to redefine what we value. That leads us to our second uh, view shift for today. And it's this. We don't find wealth in selfishness. We find it in inconvenient generosity. We don't find wealth in selfishness. We find it in inconvenient generosity. And I, I, wa I want you guys to remember this because all of these uh, view shifts... They build off of one another. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to wrap it all together and show you how. But they all build off of one another. Look at verse number 22 of Matthew 6. This is what he says. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? It's so funny. So we have a sermon preparation process where we actually, like, we have a group that prepares sermons, right? Together we talk about the passage. We, we, we meet and we, we talk it through. We try to understand what, what God, what, first of all, what the author was saying to his audience, right? And then how God is speaking through that for us today. And it was so funny when we came to this passage, we were all like, what, what is Jesus talking about, right? Like, this is a weird thing to say, right? And we don't understand, like, this is what's going on. You see, what Jesus was doing was he was using a Jewish metaphor. The Jews understood what he was talking about because they would use this in their writing, right, to talk about generosity. And really, what Jesus is saying here, he's suggesting that the eye serves as a metaphorical lamp that illuminates our inner being. Right? And just as a lamp, if you take a lamp, like if, if you're out and, and, and you're walking around on a path and you take a lamp, just as that lamp guides and brings light, right, to you, our view, our perception, right, uh, what we think, our thoughts and, act, uh, and, and all these different things, our view and our perception, what, what's in our mind, it guides our actions and our understanding of the world. So when Jesus says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. He is saying that our perspective, uh, perspective and intentions and the way we perceive things, if they are clear and focused on what's good and righteous, then our entire being, our thoughts, intentions, and actions will reflect that light. That's what he's saying. And so he's really focusing on our minds and how we see the world, our perceptions. And then he, conversely, Jesus says, 
But if your eyes are unhealthy, right, then your whole body will be full of darkness. So if our perceptions and our intentions or the way we see things are clouded or they're focused on things that are corrupt or morally wrong, then our entire being will be filled with darkness. And so Jesus is giving us this, this thought here that, that how we see things, how we think about them, our worldview is important and that it determines our actions. Um, this is why discipleship that's, is, is important. This is why God says that he's going to sanctify you, right? He's going to, Romans 8 talks about how he is going to conform you into the image of his son, that he's going to make you more Christ-like. That's why Romans chapter 12 talks about the renewing of your mind, right? It's this process by which God is changing you through the Holy Spirit, not an action first, but in your mind and how you think and how you perceive and view the world. It's super important. And so naturally, right, naturally, our natural man, when we think about wealth, we're selfish. It's grab, 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 give me, give me, give me, give me. What can I get? Who can I use? What can I obtain? What level and what status can I get to, right? What's good for me? What's going to help me to survive? But that's not the mindset that Jesus said to have. He said, we need to have a mindset of inconvenient generosity, that it's about giving to the point of inconvenience. I think Jesus was a little inconvenienced, don't you think? Lied about. Spit at. Beard plucked out. Punched in the face. Whipped. Beaten to the point of being unrecognized. The Bible says that he didn't have a place to lay his head. He wandered around. That's pretty inconvenient. But yet he chose to give. He chose to say, no, 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 no. I'm here, right? He says it. He says it. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. I'm not here to be given to. I'm here to give. It's an inconvenient generosity. We see this truth illustrated in Luke chapter 21. The story of the widow's might, verses 1 through 4. It says this. Speaking about Jesus, he looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. And his disciples are there watching, right? And he's using this as a teaching moment. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. And this is what Jesus says. He says, truly I tell you to teach his disciples, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Don't you think that's a little bit of an extreme statement? He, he says, he didn't say, hey, she gave more than most of them, right? Or, hey, she gave more than that guy. No, no, no. She lines up all the richest givers, all of them. I'm assuming that there was quite a few. And he's teaching his disciples, you see all these guys? 
These guys that are literally funding the temple, she's given more than all of them. You see, it's because God doesn't, God doesn't see it as, as a selfishness. They were giving out of what they had, the surplus, Jesus says, right? They were being stingy in, in a sense of, they weren't, they weren't saying, here, God, you, you have everything, right? They were, they were compartmentalizing what they had to say, okay, this portion's for me, and this little pretty portion over here, this is for God, right? But what does the widow do? She goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to give everything. This is out of, I don't have anything. I'm just going to give it all. She is inconveniently generous. And God says, that's the person who has true wealth. She was giving out of her surplus. See, it goes both ways. Okay, I want to make this very clear. When you don't have a lot, right? When you don't have a lot of possessions, it's easy to hold on to those possessions and say, man, this is mine. I need this. I can't give this away. I can't, if I give this away, I will be extremely inconvenienced. It's hard. And so we cling to what we have. And I want to make it very clear. God doesn't say having a lot of possessions is a sin. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that being wealthy is a sin. He says fixating on wealth, fixating on possessions as your driving purpose of life, that's wrong. But if God blesses you and God gives you wealth and God gives you possessions, hey, guess what? It's hard to give those things up because you've attained them. And so he's talking to both sides of the coin. He's talking to the poor and to the rich, right? If it's all we have, it's hard to give up, right? If it's what we've been given and what we've obtained and what we've worked hard for, and we've, it's still hard to give away. I love what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says this, But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunged people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So he says, hey, when your view, right, is based off of selfishness, when you, like Paul says, when you crave it, when you love it, when it's your desire... It's a trap. It's a trap. And that's not just for rich people. That's for poor people as well. When you crave it, when you trust it, when you desire it, it's a trap. And guess what? He gives us a warning. Many people, many believers, many people of the faith have wandered away and pierced themselves through. Why? Because they're chasing after possessions. It's because their view is wrong. Their mindset is wrong. It's based off of selfishness and not inconvenient generosity. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, guys. Think about it. War. Slavery. Prostitution. Drugs. Manipulation. Murder. Deception. 
When we love money, we as humans will do all kinds of things. And that's what Jesus says, right? If you look, if you look at the end of, uh, uh, of chapter 6, or excuse me, verse 23, at the end, he said, So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? He's giving us a profound statement. He's saying, hey, we are very dark. And so when we're chasing after the things, if we have a dark mindset, if we have an evil mindset and our view is, is tainted on wealth and we're living selfishly, guess what? We're going to do some really bad things. I think of the, the thing that automatically pops into my mind is Chattel slavery and how Christians... Christian slave owners changed the scriptures to justify them owning other human beings. That's wrong. And why? Because it affected their pocketbook. Because it affected their wealth, their money, their possessions. It's dangerous. And we need to change our view and so, how then? What's the, what's the life change that needs to take place? We must retrain how we think. We must retrain how we think. As apprentices of Jesus, if we want to be good stewards, we need to think less about what we can get and more about how we can give. It's about inconvenient generosity. Some people ask us, uh, it's so funny, um, they ask, why, why do you go to Tulsa and give things away for free? Why do you hold events and give things away for free? Why do you do certain things? Why aren't you marketing your church or uh, inviting people to come to services or, you know, doing these things? And again, it comes down to this idea is that we want to bless people more than they can bless us. And there's no strings attached that we want to build a relationship, a gospel relationship, so that they know that we are there for them. They don't have to give me anything in return. That we love the neighborhoods we call home. And we'll be able to give them more than they'll ever be able to give us. Because we want to be inconveniently generous. What does God say to use our possessions for? First, he tells us in scripture to use our possessions to provide for our family. Right? Second, he says to, he, we are to use our possessions and our wealth to provide for those in need, specifically those of our spiritual family, right? our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then third, we're supposed to use our wealth and our possessions to support God's work in spreading the gospel and advancing the kingdom locally and around the world. And so we need to retrain how we think. But again, we can't do that, right? We have to ask God to help renew our minds, change our minds. And that leads to our third view shift today and our last one. We don't find wealth in worshiping ourselves. We find it in worshiping God. And again, I'm going to tie it all together. It'll make sense. Verse 24, this is the one we read together. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be uh, devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what is Jesus saying? He is highlighting the impossibility of wholeheartedly, 
right? That's the key word, wholeheartedly serving conflicting priorities or masters at the same time. He's saying you can't do both. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. There's going to be a conflict as arises. You can't do both, right? And so ultimately, what it comes down to is, who are you worshiping? Right? The reason why we want money, we want possessions, is because we worship ourselves. We're saying, hey, we need to be taken care of in this way. We, we, need to under, we, we need this in order to feel secure. We need this in order to survive. But when we worship God, the Bible says, he says it in, in Luke uh, 12, he says, he told this to his disciples. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about the body, what you will wear. Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things and your father knows that you need them. But this is what Jesus says, but seek his kingdom and these things will be provided for you. You see, if you go, back, if you go down past a verse 24 in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this. He uses that exact same phrase. He says, but seek first the kingdom. That's the idea of the Sermon on the Mount. That is the crux of what he's trying to teach us here. He's saying, seek first the kingdom. And so it's all about who we worship. If we are worshiping God, then guess what? We're going to seek God. We're going to seek the kingdom. And then he gives us a promise. All of these things will be added to you. See, true wealth is not in worshiping ourselves and being anxious and striving and trying to accomplish and achieve and grab and being selfish. True wealth comes from the rest that God has given us in Christ Jesus. And when we worship him, what he can give us. So uh, what, is that, what life change does that lead to? We must rectify who we worship. We must rectify it. We have to choose. We have to decide. There's a fork in the road. Either we're going to serve God... We're going to worship him. We're going to seek after the things of God or we're going to worship ourselves. And we're going to be selfish. And we're going to chase after possessions. And we're going to serve money. We're going to, literally that word serve is like we're going to be its slave. As apprentices of Jesus, if we want to be good stewards, we need to decide who we will worship. Because if God gives it to us, he wants us to use it to worship him. All right? So this sermon was about our possessions. It's about money. But ultimately, it's about our hearts and our vision and our view of those things. Because if those things are correct, I don't have to tell you, hey, family, let's give towards our moms having the opportunity to view the service. You know why? Because in your heart, you're going to be like, what do we got to do? Right? When I say, hey, Tulsa, right? Tulsa needs this. It's not, oh, man. If you don't have the right view, right? It's, oh, man, we got to do this again. Right? But if we have the right view, it's, what do I got to do? Where do I got to go? 
Where, where do I sign up? Where do I put my name down? Right? Because it's inconvenient generosity. Right? It's not, oh, man, like, we got to do this again. Right? We got to have an Easter event again. Right? We, we got we to, gotta, you know, do this again. We got to go to, the, to, to the, 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 uh, uh, this with our missional group again. We got to give to this again. No, it's, man, this is my whole life. This is my priority. This is my view. The gospel, and I'm closing with this, the gospel, right, is that Jesus came. He was, he was God. He came down. He was born of a virgin, right, in the form of man. He took on humanity, right, and he, was, he lived this perfect sinless life, and then he was uh, crucified, he was buried, and then three days later he rose again. And he did that so that everyone, all of humanity, has the opportunity to have a relationship with him. But that's not where the gospel ends. If you're in here and you've never heard that before and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, that's for you. You can trust that. You can believe that. And the Bible says you will be saved. But Christian, apprentice, that's not the end of the gospel. The gospel is also that Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, God is transforming you. He's sanctifying you. He's turning you. He's conforming you into the image of his son. And so what is he doing here? Like I said before, he's making us into new humans. So how does it build off of one another? I, I said that all these things build, right? So when we come to God and we ask him, God, we want different priorities. Father, we, 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 we see it. Your Holy Spirit has convicted us. We've seen it from Scripture. Our priorities need to change. Guess what? He transforms you. And then through that, you're like, oh man, I want to have different priorities, but my mindset's messed up. I can't see it correctly. So then we go to God and we ask him, God, we need you to renew our mind. We want to have these priorities, but our view, our mindset, our worldview is tainted. God, would you renew my mind? And the gospel, because of Jesus, guess what? He renews your mind. He transforms you. And then as he transforms your mind and he, he's giving you different priorities, a different desire, he's transforming your mind. Then guess what? It all comes down to the basic part, the very beginning. God, change my heart. He can give you the desire to worship him. It comes through Jesus. It comes through the Holy Spirit. It comes through the gospel. Well, now we're saying, you know what? Uh, my priorities are changed, right? My, my mind is different, but ultimately who I worship is changed because my heart is different. That is the gospel for us as believers. God gave us Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Because he wants to change us. He wants us to live according to that new value system. We're new humans. Y'all, this is the best news you guys, and I'm, gonna, and I'm saying that very confidently. This is the best news you've heard all week. Guess what? All your guys' striving is for naught. All my striving is for naught. There's only true rest in Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That's what it is. That for all of eternity, we get to enjoy him forever. And that there's rest. That's what this community needs. 
They're all out there working nine to five, striving, chasing after worldly possessions, being selfish, not worshiping themselves and not worshiping God. And they're tired. They're broken down, right? They're, they're hopeless. But you in here as a believer, as an apprentice of Jesus, you have the opportunity to be changed by God. And you have something that this world needs. We're tired. I'm tired. Right? We're, we're broken. Yeah, but Jesus offers a better way, a better way. In a moment, we're going to step into communion. It's going to be our response time. And this is where we come to God. This is where we humble our hearts. This is where we remember how God was inconveniently generous with us. Right? How Jesus gave his body, shed his blood, so that you and I can be transformed, so that we don't have to strive anymore, that we can rest, Sabbath, nestle into God. That's what this time is. So respond. Thank him. Thank him. Ask him to change you. If you are not a believer, if you don't know Jesus, he sacrificed himself for you. Believe and be saved. Believe and be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your rest. God, we thank you that you speak into every area of our life. God, you want to transform us. You want to change us. You want us to have a relationship with you that is so amazing. And God, we may never see it this out of heaven. We may always be striving. It may not click, but ultimately you're a good God. You said you're going to give it to us one day. And so we thank you for that future hope as well. God, I pray for the people in this room that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you, uh, continue to convict and call them, Lord, and that they would submit their hearts to you. And God, as a church as a family, as apprentices of Jesus, that we would take these view shifts and God, that you would do them in us and that you would see our lives, we would see our lives change because of your sanctification gospel work. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.